Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hey, Greta here. Did you know Nerdette is officially 10 years old? I know I can't believe it either. We are celebrating with a very special episode of the show coming up next Friday, and we would love to hear from you. Leave us a voicemail. You could sing happy birthday. You could tell us about your favorite episode. You could just tell us why you like Nerdette. We would love to hear from you. Record yourself on your phone and then email the file to nerdettepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. Coming up, Jamie Loftus tells us about how she spent the summer of 2021 driving across the country eating four hot dogs a day. And then I had a peanut butter and jelly hot dog once, and that was pretty unpleasant. But first, it's our chance to sit back and unwind from the week that was with two excellent humans. With us this week is the co-host of the Crooked Media podcast, X-Ray Vision, and a writer on the new freebie show, Primo, Jason Concepcion. Jason, hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Also here is scholar, community organizer, author, and all-around excellent nerd, Eve Ewing. Eve, hello. Hi, I'm here with two of my faves. Oh, yay. This is so much fun. Okay, so I want to start with Netflix this week. They are finally following through on their threats. They've started requiring users to all be on the same wireless network or else pay an extra eight bucks a month. This hit me this week because I've been using my mother's Netflix account for the last several years. She uses my Hulu. It seems like a fair trade. Um, What about y'all? Have you been caught on this one this past week? You know, this is cruel and unkind. (laughs) Great. I, I feel like I can track my like socioeconomic growth over the years by <laughs> my relationship to shared passwords. So I can say that I'm I'm in a life phase where I am I am the giver of passwords. I'm mm, not the receiver of passwords. Um, yeah, it's like a form of stability that you know many of us aspire to, and I'm happy to have achieved. But the problem is that um, I, my husband and I are both like the givers of passwords in our families, and so when we moved in together, it was like you know, at a certain point we got married and it was like, okay, are we going to have like two different accounts that each have like seven people siphoning <laughs> off of them? And so <laughs> I decided that I was going to take an L. Uh, I did not take his name, but I did take his Netflix password. <laughs> so I have moved myself on to be under, as the Bible says, you know, you grow old and you, a wife should uh, something, something yeah. uh, merge uh-huh. the accounts. It's really another way of reinforcing Western nuclear household ideals that are very problematic. That's my, yeah. that's my hot take. For sure. What do you think, Jason? I, too, have been caught up in this. I, too, have uh, become, over the recent years, the giver of passwords. I support my entire direct family uh, with a Netflix password, and <laughs> I've been trying to explain to them uh, my very frustrated family, particularly my mom, who... Uh, mainlines Turkish historical dramas that oh, nice. no that people even in Turkey have not seen. <laughs> I um I've been trying to explain to her that because I'm a member of the WGA and on strike, it mm. feels not the right time for me to to 
up my contribution to Netflix's coffers right. in order to keep uh-huh. them uh, on their Netflix passwords. And uh, we've yet to come to a solution on that particular oh, issue. No. It's only raised its head in the last few days, but it is a hot issue in this particular household. Yeah, it's really tough. I think, too, I mean, it, at this point for me, it's like, yes, I certainly could afford my own Netflix account, but I don't want to give them dollars on principle at this juncture. They're doing great. They're doing just just fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As someone who has developed a like remote parasocial relationship of fandom with Jason's mom, this is now I feel really torn. <laughs> You know, know right? who are we to deprive her of, you know, the, the Turkish drama content that she needs yeah, after yeah. she sacrificed so much to raise you. But on the other <laughs> hand, I feel like there has to be some like principled theft seems like the only option. Like, I don't know if there's a VPN <laughs> situation. I don't I don't really know. There's got to be something. We we could try that. It is a little too tech heavy for her. I say that mm-hmm. as uh, in my dual role as her tech support. Right. Um, of course. <laughs> And, but and it's you know it it is a thorny thing. I'm you know I've I've tried to tell her like listen here's the deal. Uh, we're a, as a member of the WGA, we're currently not working uh, because of various issues that we have, various serious issues uh, regarding compensation and other things and the structure of the business. And at this point in time, us giving the enemy camp an extra eight dollars or even an extra several uh, subscription fees. It just feels like the wrong time. Uh, You know, co-CEO Reed Hastings could make as much as 30 plus million dollars this year. Uh, They're good. And, you know, it it just feels like the wrong time, Mom. She's not hearing it, unfortunately. And it's also not just the money. It's not just the money. It's also the subscriber count, right, which they use to, um, as this kind of like, techie tech giant infinite growth uh metric um to you know forever be inflating i mean that's what this is about right it's a way of artificially inflating the number of subscribers which they can use to then like promote this this nonstop growth model at a certain point there is a cap on like the number of people on earth um, who are realistically going to want to and so so the idea that for these companies um, you know, that they have this model where infinite growth, infinite growth is the only yeah. metric metric of success. And we're supposed to just get behind that. And that that writers don't see payoff from that in any way, right? That the incentive structure yeah. is such that, that that kind of infinite growth does nothing shamelessly does nothing to help writers pay their bills um, is not cool. And it can't it can't continue. Mm-mm. So this week, the New York Times ran a guest essay from David Mack. He used to work for BuzzFeed. He wrote a viral tweet in 2020 that used the term hard pants, which definitely changed my vocabulary around pandemic attire. Um, I think it's a really interesting time to reflect on the pandemic because while so many things about the pandemic seem to have faded, it does seem like, as the headline of this piece suggests, soft pants are here to stay. Uh, Jason, are you wearing hard pants right now? Oh man! Oh wow! Great question. I <laughs> Put am you on the spot. You are be- because uh, I've been on Zoom with camera on so much lately. Mm-hmm. I just kind of when I'm going to get on a Zoom, I just instinctively put on quote unquote wow. hard pants, i.e., pants that you would wear to go outside. I'm wearing uh, jeans. Interesting. Uh, that said. Had I not, had I known that we would be camera off, camera's off, I'd be soft pants all the way. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, there's very few positives I think that you could say came out of the uh, the, the lockdown era. But one of them is a, yeah. a, a dedication to a quality of life. Uh, through our interaction with the fabrics that drape our body. <laughs> and I'm one of those people who who have really invested in numerous pieces of software, not just yeah. the pants, but like the matching uh, crew neck sweatshirt is, yep. uh, I own several pairs of that. And, you know, I, I, I just like the flexibility of being able to be on my couch, then be outside and not look uh, incongruous outside, uh, and then be able to then go directly to sleep yes. in the outfit that I've been wearing all day. <laughs> so yeah, what about what about you, Eve? What's your pants status at this moment? Well, you know how when an article or a meme or something comes out and ten different people send it to you, and you yeah. become aware that something you're like, oh, this is my this is my brand. Yeah, right? for so me, like, it's with corgis. <laughs> I get a lot of corgi yeah, stuff from people. I get a lot of fast and furious content, and right. I got a lot of soft pants. Many people <laughs> sent me this soft pants headline, uh, which made me really proud because I'm glad to be yep, known as a soft it. pants advocate. Um, and in particular, I think that the the innovations in jogger technology are just. Yeah. It's so true. great. So, so great. Um, I have, and I have, I have purchased uh, like six pairs of one particular pant and like five pairs of another pant mm. um, that are like, uh, they have a drawstring. They're kind of this like sort of polyestery material that doesn't, like I can wear it to work and it's not like, oh, Professor Ewing legit wore sweatpants to class. <laughs> like it's a, it's a step above a step above that but like just barely and it goes with everything you know and then yeah i feel away because that that jason is out here wearing hard pants at all because i know this man is selling me sweatpants on podcasts every week it's very true and, and so i wear them convincing he's so convincing <laughs> trying to tell me that all i need to do is wear these i shall not say the brand because we're not being paid yeah. to do so but um jason is out here selling sweatpants to the people and now the truth comes out so i i the fact that you are for any portion of your day wearing hard pants is honestly yeah. a devastating blow it is for me it but is. i'm gonna but i'm gonna personally and professionally it. i think yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i feel like we need like a daily beast like expose on the fact that jason is like hard pants question mark pants yeah, hard pants for it well <laughs> At least, Jason, now you know, on Nerdette, we will never require hard pants. I just want to be really okay, clear about you. that I, I, on the I, record. Sorry. Yeah, that was just an instinctive move. I want to... No, I respect uh, it. I want to put something, uh, uh, an evolution in the in the soft pant technology on people's radar. So recently, I was having uh, lunch with some friends, and one of them was wearing a jogger that is printed to look like jeans oh, oh yeah interesting a and, hack if you will and again, it's an incredible hack. again i won't mention the brand because we're not being paid to do so mm -mm. but they're so convincingly jeans? aesthetically jeans with the creases mm. and the fading and the and the everything <laughs> And then when you touch them, they are sweatpants. It's <laughs> incredible. And for those of us who, who you know, absolutely need a, a, a soft pant after the last several years, look for these. I was Amazing. blown away. 
Oh my god, that's so good. That is very impressive. It's from the makers of the tuxedo t-shirt. The other thing is that like <laughs> immediately like I went to like what is the ridiculous portmanteau that we can have like shorts mm. that are jeans are jorts, right. leggings that are jeans are jeggings, but unfortunately joggers that are jeans are jog- joggers. <laughs> so it doesn't 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 quite work in the same way. Oh, that's amazing. Unless they were doggers, which would be mm. like kind of like doggers, denim joggers denim joggers i'm glad you said Doggers? that because i immediately forgot what the d was supposed to stand for and i was like why did i <laughs> say for that you, it's all good yeah thank you thank you thank you <laughs> okay so before i let y'all go our next segment as i mentioned is with jamie loftus about her new book raw dog which is all about hot dogs so funny. um <laughs> jason would you eat four hot dogs a day all summer yeah for sure i <laughs> easily i mean like easily i um uh I was on vacation last summer and uh, my partner was like, where are you going with that one hot dog on a plate? I'm like, I'm going to the grill to make one hot dog because <laughs> I desire right now in the morning. This one it, hot dog. It, yeah. I One hot dog for breakfast. I love hot dogs. They're not good for me. The industry mm. is, is frightening. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I would easily eat four hot dogs a day if it was not a horrifying thing to do. I hear you. I had a corn dog for the first time the other day in probably 10 years, and it was so good. It was just, it was lovely. What about you, Eve? Would you eat four hot dogs a day? Yeah, I love hot dogs, man. I mean, the tricky thing for me is that I do mostly eat a Chicago style hot dog, which mm. has all the stuff on it. And so, except ketchup. And for those, except ketchup. Yeah. So for those who are uninitiated, that includes um, relish, mustard, tomatoes, onions, hot peppers, a pickle, pickle celery, a celery salt. salts, and a steamed poppy seed bun. I think I said all the ingredients. Um, never ketchup, it. no ketchup. I love ketchup on a hot dog. I gotta say, I'm gonna. Stand yeah, by I mean that's I. There, you have so many other great qualities. I'm gonna move right past that. But um, <laughs> I, you know, if you're putting all that stuff on a hot dog, it is four four a day is rough. Um, yeah, that sounds gotta, really good. Gotta say, yeah. the thing about a hot dog is, you know, I mean, you know that it like beneath a certain floor, it's going to be good. You know yep. what I mean? Or, like above yeah. a certain floor, it's going to be, it's going to be good. And there's so many things in this crazy mixed up world. You just can't count on like Ugh. that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Nowadays, it's like, there's so Eve, many, you can beautiful. get a good plant-based hot dog. You can get some sort yeah. of ethical hot dog. If that's your vibe, Great point. turkey, we eat a lot of turkey hot dogs. You know, yeah. we have Muslim folks in my family. So we, you know, we, the, the Vienna beef, like there's so many great, yeah. so many great, honestly, it's a hot dog essence in our culture. And I think yeah. we all need to lean in to that. <laughs> That's so beautiful. Eve, Jason, thank you both so much for coming on. Jason, my condolences again about the hard pants. I'm ashamed. <laughs> it's okay. Jason, you have to write an apology on your notes app and then screenshot it. And then... <laughs> I'm going to do that. I am going to do it. I promise you I will do it. <laughs> In just a minute, we are going to continue this glorious conversation all about hot dogs. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to the Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events.
Our next guest is Jamie Loftus, whose podcasts include My Year in Mensa and Act Cast and Ghost Church. She's also the co-host of the Bechdel Cast. Plus, she's a comedian and a TV writer. She just wrote a book called Raw Dog: The Naked Truth About Hot Dogs. It's a travelogue with a slice of American history and a squirt of capitalist critique with a dollop of relish on top. Jamie, welcome to Nerdette. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I love the dollop. Oh, good. <laughs> I had a feeling you Perfect. might. So you literally just wrote a whole ass book about hot dogs. You traveled across the United States. At times you were eating like four to five hot dogs a day. Yeah. Why did you do this? <laughs> a, ma- a question that my therapist also asked me when I was like, I think I'm going to write a book. And she's like, great. I was like, it's going to be really physically painful. And she's like, Why? <laughs> um well i there's like the smart sounding answer and then the like self-punishing answer where like (laughs) it is true that there's not a there's much less written about hot dogs than you would think there wasn't a book that existed that both talked about its cultural significance and talked about sort of the more difficult corners of the hot dog world, which goes into meat packing and goes into mm-hmm. labor rights and all these things I'm really passionate about. And it's just, I don't know, everything has to do with hot dogs, like funny stuff, weird jingoistic stuff, uh, horrible labor rights stuff. Um, it's the hot dog is everything is what I discovered. It's the fulcrum of the world. And, um, I also, I also just really enjoy a, uh, a double dare style physical challenge. (laughs) So like (laughs) traveling the country, eating too many hot dogs is very in step with the kind of, um, physical punishment that I, that I'm into. (laughs) So over the course of your journeys, what's the weirdest thing you think you saw on a hot dog? Oh, weirdest thing I saw on a hot dog? Definitely SpaghettiOs. Um, (laughs) Didn't love that. Um, There are things that sound weird on a hot dog that when you actually in practice, um, it's it's pretty good. Like Seattle uh, puts cream cheese and sriracha on their hot dogs. And when you think about it. Yeah, it kind of just becomes like a breakfast sandwich. It's really good. And then I had a peanut butter and jelly hot dog once, and that was pretty unpleasant. I know that doesn't sound very good. Yeah, I appreciate that there's, um, you know, experimental uh, people in the hot dog labs trying to innovate, but there's definitely been some misses. I mean, you do have a really, and you say this even in that introduction, that like hot dogs are the kind of American where you know something's deeply wrong, but it's still somehow endearing. Yeah, I feel like that's so many uh, American symbols where it's yeah. like most, you know, American kids are just told that hot dogs are American from the time they're little. And you kind of don't question it because they're associated with all these really, you know, nationalistic events and gatherings. And you're like, wait, why this of all things? It's delicious. It rocks. But like, why? Well, and I think it is such a interesting framing, too, because I mean most American institutions, you don't have to dig that deep before you're like, oh, this is super fucked, actually. Yeah. Yeah. What really kind of surprised me and what I really couldn't have planned for was the uh, moment that we were traveling, which was the summer of 2021, which Mm -hmm. happened to be kind of, I mean, it was um, certainly my first time being out of the house in any meaningful way. Well, yeah, it's what most people called hot vax summer, but y'all called hot dog summer. Hot, 
two things can be true. (laughs) 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 But yeah, I mean, like I, I had, um, you know, recently gotten my vaccine and it was, you know, you're traveling the country and everyone is doing like, it feels like, you know, aliens doing impressions of human life, but Oof, not qu- yeah. like I felt like I was in middle school, just like relearning how to socialize. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was also a really huge uh, period of time for um, labor. And and that this was kind of the summer and this extended. But this was the summer where you started to hear no one wants to come to work anymore. And yeah. You would hear that a lot at um, jobs like working at a hot dog stand where the wages are so low that often being on unemployment or, you know, using the few social safety nets we have left is actually better uh, than returning to a low paid job where you're, you know, you have no, um, you're not being paid a living wage. And so it was really interesting to be traveling at that specific time and, and talk to small business owners and talk to workers. And, um, it all kind of led up to, I was writing the book during the great resignation. So it was, it was an interesting year to be writing about, uh, hot dog labor. Hot dog labor. So, notoriously of course there's a lot of mystery around what goes into a hot dog it's kind of the idea that like it's better yeah. that you don't know i feel like we <laughs> yes. should talk about it at least a little bit though i mean you go into great detail in this book describing a video of like a factory making it involves <laughs> a lot of like meat liquids which i found oh, very man. unpleasant to hear about even even if you're setting aside the human and animal uh, rights yeah. violations, which you yes. shouldn't, but just even right. looking aesthetically, it is so goopy and disgusting <laughs> and like that showing people that video because I've been watching that video obsessively for well over a decade <laughs> because uh, the, the, it's did you watch? I mean, it's like, no, you see, no, ugh. your description was enough, Jamie. <laughs> Thank you so much. That means the world. But yeah, in the video, it's presented very matter-of-factly with this, like, Seinfeldy bass music going on in the background, and you're like, this is horrific. Another machine then purees the meat batter into a fine emulsion and vacuums out any air. It's like these vats of goo, and then it goes to another yeah. vat of goo, and it gets pink at one point, and you're like, how did that happen? It pumps the meat puree into these casings, twisting it every five and a quarter inches, the length of one hot dog. It's very difficult to watch. Um, and that, you know, and that presentation on TV is kind of the most sanitary possible mm. um, look you get at that process. Um, mm. Because I, I feel like it is somewhat common knowledge, or I was forced to learn it in high school, was... Um, you know, we re- we read The Jungle by Upton Sinclair right. and knew that kind of the legacy of that book, even though it's like a book about someone becoming uh, radicalized and becoming a socialist, which mm-hmm. is awesome. Um, mm-hmm. But the only like or or the significant takeaway was that there were meatpacking laws that were changed and animal rights right. laws. Things are different than they were then is the idea that we've been told for sure. Yeah, which is true. Um, like that book did have a huge impact um, and in have uh, prompted uh, several laws that are still in place today. But things have 
barely improved. And uh, since then, there really hasn't been a lot of meaningful legislation in the last yeah. century to protect workers. And I did a lot of um, research about how meatpacking unions um, have really diminished in strength over the last century and um, sort of led up to um, this this pretty horrifying inflection moment uh, when um, when lockdown began and there was an executive order from Trump saying that we will not shut down the meat factories, Americans need their meat, blah, blah, blah. Um, and the Trump administration, it was revealed later in 2021, essentially colluded with two major meatpacking companies to intentionally not protect their employees um, so that they could produce meat as quickly as possible. So it's it's so frustrating to know that like there was a big impact for this industry a hundred years ago, over a hundred years ago, and kind yeah. of nothing has been done as the working conditions have gotten worse as well. So yeah, in addition to those elements, you also look systemically at the fact that you know, hot dogs are super affordable. They're often marketed to poor people. They're put into neighborhoods, you know, that don't necessarily have grocery stores. Um, mm-hmm. You're confronting a lot of really serious issues that for sure aren't like hot dog specific, but that do <laughs> kind of make this like the entry point into this conversation. But I do yeah. wonder, you know, I mean, how this book is also about you eating four hot dogs a day and really enjoying a lot of them. Like how... I I think this is another question about like how all of us navigate American capitalism. Right. But like, how do you still manage to enjoy those things while also being so aware of how shitty the whole thing really is? Uh, I, I mean, I don't have a satisfying answer. You can't fix it for us. I'm trying. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to be honest with myself about it too, because it's, I still eat hot dogs and I eat hot dogs. Um, more mindfully and more ethically there's no i mean unfortunately there's no completely ethical way to eat a hot dog unless you're eating you know a uh, locally sourced vegan dog that you can sort of ensure which is possible but difficult um and i still eat the things there are certain companies i will no longer purchase from Mm. but in terms i don't know i mean i honestly thought when i finished this book by the time i would be talking to you that i would be full not just like full vegan but like absolutely sick of hot dogs and that just has not been the case and (laughs) i'm you know trying to be you know gentle with myself about it but i'm like what is that like why is it such an addictive thing that was the food i grew up with that's the food mostly the food i've stuck to as an adult and how do you break that pattern yeah um it's really uh, something I'm frustrated with myself about. Well, I think it probably is one of those things too, where it's sort of like the system is designed for us to be frustrated with ourselves about it, but also not be able to do anything about it really either. It's true. If I stopped eating hot dogs, so many of the world's problems would cease. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say, I was particularly excited to learn you were writing a book about hot dogs because in college, my summer job was working at a hot dog store. No way. Wait, where? Yeah, it has since closed. It was in Northfield, Minnesota, which is where I went mm-hmm. to school. And it was called Tiny's Dogs All Day. And they sold hot dogs and cigarettes. And it was delightful. <laughs> it was so much fun. 
That is so hot dog coated. Hot dogs and cigarettes. Wow. It was funny, though, because you talk about how like hot dog stands typically have owners or people who work there who are both charming and grumpy. And it was like, Mm -hmm. yep, that's that's it. That's exactly what it is. (laughs) I really love the general disposition of hot dog stand owners. There's like a few flavors of them, but there are some (laughs) consistencies and like or just like finding like what the regional hot dog owner vibe is is there is this I wrote about it in the book but I like I feel like I haven't been talking about it enough when I went to upstate (laughs) when I went to upstate New York their whole thing is like little hot dogs and they're like it's not weenies they're little hot dogs and you're like all right they're little hot dogs (laughs) okay it's so bizarre that they're little because the idea is to eat a lot of them so what are we doing but it is really interesting and they're it's mostly owned by um Greek families and Mm. there was this thing in upstate New York called the hairy arm which is so unsanitary it is not legal to do anymore but they used to say like a serving of tiny hot dogs is the length of the business owner's forearm so Mm -mm. he would like on his bare hairy Mm -mm. arm would like line Mm -mm. up seven hot dogs and slide them onto your plate and you'd be like Thanks, Gus. And then you would have to eat them. <laughs> so that's a very pro hot dog story. Oh my God. Oh. So, what do you think you learned that you were like the most surprised to come across on the course of this very strange journey you went on two <laughs> years ago now? Oh man. Um, that's a good question. I, I learned so much. Um, making like writing this book and and researching it. And I'm so grateful I got to do it. Um, I learned a lot about, um, American labor history that I'm, Mm. I feel very lucky to know. I think that, um, like a lot of people (laughs) in like the late 2010s into early 2020s, I knew what I believed in and I knew, um, Mm. what my values were, but I didn't know a lot about, um, the history of, of unionizing and, um, a lot of labor, um, movements. And so that was really, really cool. And then, um, also it was just fun to learn that a lot of people have sex on the Wienermobile. You're like, well, that's great too. (laughs) Um, that's, so those probably are my, my top two things I learned. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. This was really a treat. Oh, thank you so much. All right. That's it for this week. Thank you as always for listening. I can't believe it, but it is already June. That means we have an author interview coming up for Nerd Out Book Club this coming Tuesday. So keep an ear out for that. I can't wait for you to hear it. Our book in June is The Adventures of Amina Al-Sarafi. It is a just delightful pirate novel. This is something that you probably need in your life this summer. So make it happen right now and listen and read along with us as always. Nerdette is produced by me and Anna Bauman. J.P. Swenson builds our newsletter and our executive producer is Brendan Banasak. We will see you next week. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. 
and listen to the Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.